This program may not be suitable for young children. Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Street Talk Theology here, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. This is our second series in Genesis 34. We started last week. We're going to finish up this week. It's a challenging sermon. May God bless and keep you as we listen to the second part of the story of Dinah. Today in this world, when we cross boundaries, them boundaries, them ideologies start infiltrating our heart and our mind, and we start thinking like the world. We start thinking that everything's okay. I might, you know what I'm saying? Because right away, this is okay. Well, let's not get married first. Let's just try it first and see. We start thinking that's okay. We start, we start gravitating towards the ideologies of the world because there's no, here's the word, there's no restraint. We don't like restraint. We like to live and let live because we're governed by that ideology in the world we live in today. It's a huge text for us. It's a challenging text. There's another aspect we need to explore is Jacob's indifference. He does not show much emotion, especially in comparison to his son's inquiries. Again, she's Leah's daughter, and Jacob never really loved Leah, despite the Lord blessing her with children. And as we remember how Leah became his bride, I believe Jacob very well was more concerned of the ramifications than he was about Dinah herself, especially in the fact that he decided to settle in Shechem. We have to remember, now think of, now I want, listen. Man, I love Jacob. You know why? Because... Jacob represents Dominic. I mean, we make, you know, he's not a perfect guy. Thank God he's one of God's elect, but he's not perfect. And here's the thing we have to remember. People in general are very complex with many issues. The people of God are not exempt from complications in our lives, taking matters into our own hands. Listen, when you start having favored children and, you know, things like that, these things happen. And you see these things happening in real, in real life. The brothers' actions. We got to talk about the brothers. In fact, the brothers recognize this sin is not only against their sister, but against Israel being in disgrace in Israel. But you have to understand the context to see the brothers' flaw. In the days of Jacob, there was not holy war. The nomads were to live at peace with the inhabitants. In fact, even, even some, Outsiders shared the beliefs of the Israelites. We see characters like Abimelech and Melchizedek believing in the God of Israel. But the brothers become a God, little g, in their own mind and use religion for gain as they deceive the Shechemites with their circumcision scheme. So look at this. See how the culture is already cognitive contamination. Already they are infiltrating against the people of God and now they're looking to deceive the way that the Shechemites 
deceived. That's that cognitive contamination. That's when our mind starts getting contaminated with the things of the world. And we see this text and it's, and we wonder and we say to ourselves, how can this thing happen? This is a people of God, but they use it to their advantage. God forbid today if we use our, if we use our relationship with Christ as an advantage by thinking we are better than other people, let us use our distinctiveness as a witness to people. Not to think us better, because the only reason that we're Christians today is by the grace of God, nothing that we do. If we are to be true Christians before the world, now here, I want you to hear this. You don't hear nothing. Hear this. If we are to be true Christians before the world, we must first and foremost be true Christians before Christ. Only then will our voice be heard. This was a perfect opportunity for the brothers to show that they were a distinct people by forgiving the inhabitants of the land. This, of course, would not be easy. But in light of the fact, how much mercy had God shown them? How much mercy had God showed Jacob? How much mercy has God shown us? And then, Miss Carolyn, when we're asked to show mercy on somebody else, I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian today, the mercy that God has shown upon you, undeserving sinners, all of us deserve hell, me first. And if God has shown mercy on you, how can you not show mercy on others, especially unbelievers who need the gospel? Right? I mean, we, we have to be careful that we don't think our self-righteousness is what this is about. People need the gospel, and we got to give it to them. We have to be salt and light in this world because you know what? I'm telling you, we live, we live in a type of Shechem. Thank God. I, I tell people all the time, me and Gene have these conversations too. I tell people, I believe God is, is still blessing America because of the Christians here in America. Because of our salt and light and our distinctiveness. But you know what? At the end of the day, we need to have a louder voice. I, th I think about this all the time. Me and Rachel talk about this, right, Rach? You know, the LGBTQ. Notice the voice. There's such a minority people, but they got such a loud voice today. And here we are, Christians. In America, we cower. We don't want to be salt and light. And these other organizations, whatever you want to call them, they got such large voices. Shame on us. Me first. And here the Shechemites, the, the, the land of Shechem has contaminated the people of God. But the question is, how much? Have we been contaminated by the world? How much do we accept of the world? That's the question, Carolyn. That's the challenge of living in Shechem. Right, Devon? I mean, we just get infiltrated, inundated with, with news and, and, and events and things like that. We have to remember we are a elect people. And we are a small Remnant. Fear not little flock, micro flock. It's the Father's pleasure to give you his kingdom. Praise God for that.
Be careful of living in Shechem. It could easily have been justified for them to forgive her. At least it should have made them realize that they were in the wrong place. But a temporal-minded man is unstable in all his ways. On the other hand, the Shechemites are not exempt. They look at sin. Now watch this. This is another ideology. They look at sin as something that can be improved upon. Just like today. In fact, people see sin as a mistake and something they can eventually get right without God. The world we live in today does not need, does not see a need for redemption. In fact, the Shechemites do not understand the emotion of brothers. What's the big deal? Why are you getting all excited? What's the big deal? I mean, this is Shechem. This is how we do things here. Remember, Haman was, he's, a, he's the most honorable guy. This, this, this is Shechem. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. See, this is America. What do you want to be, a guy today or a girl? Don't worry about it. You got it. What? You don't, you don't want to be a man no more, Harry? Don't worry. You got that. That's okay. We'll accept you. We'll love you. It don't matter. This is America. Oh, I mean, what is it? Oh, did I say it? Oh, this is Shechem. See, that's Shechem. It's okay, Mark. It's okay. What? I, I can't afford to have that child. Oh, don't worry. You can abort it. We'll be behind you. We love you. Be careful. Be careful. We're living in Shechem. None of this is easy, but it's all biblical. None of it's easy, but it's all biblical. And we see the people of God, the miracles that God did in Jacob. I mean, he just had, he just had a beef with Esau coming with 400 men. I love Jacob. You know that. And I don't, I never came down on Jacob till after he got his name changed. But here, as soon as he escapes Esau, there's another enemy behind the door. What's the old show, Gene? What's behind door number one? Board number, I used to like Monty's cookie jar, right? Because as soon as you defeat Esau, here comes the Shechemites. As soon as you get the victory over Esau, here comes the Shechemites. With the alluring city, the big lands, the cars, the 75-inch TVs, Mercedes, here come the Shechemites. Come and live here. You can still be a Christian. Bruce Watke, I said here, Satan comes as an angel of light. This would have been a heavy compromise, one that seemed, seems Jacob might have taken, showing he already settled there. No different than Lot. Bruce Watke nails this by saying the Canaanites have replaced Esau's militia in threatening Jacob's existence with God's covenant with him. In the last scene with Esau, Jacob exemplified bold leadership based on true faith, but here is replaced by weak leadership based on fear. See, it's just like Peter, right? I mean, Peter says, you are the Christ. And then the Lord says, I have to go get crucified. Peter, far be it from you, you're Satan. He gets it right, and then two minutes later, he gets it wrong. That's me. That's you. 
But thank God we have a God of grace. Our God does not look at me, can't look at me, because I'm a sinner, but he looks at Christ in my stead. And praise God for that, because if he looks at me, I'm in trouble. But he looks at Christ. And praise God for that. Because here we see we are no different as we look at this narrative. We see here that this was a story of rape in more ways than one, was it not? Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, and the rest of the brothers also raped the goods from the Shechemites. They not only killed them, they stole all their goods. Now, as we know, as mentioned, this was not holy war. And if it was holy war, you devote those goods to destruction. But they kept them for themselves. They're no different than the Shechemites. Who, when they were told, if we circumcise ourselves, we would share the goods of the Israelites. Whatever they have, we have. That's why the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Everybody in this narrative wants to take but no one wants to give. That, my friends, is the world we live in today. Jacob's family's out of control. The church here wanted to get in bed, no pun intended, with the culture. In fact, the silence, now think about this. Think about this, man. The silence in this text speaks volumes. Come back for a second, because the silence speaks volumes. Listen to this. Stringer depicts Jacob holding his peace, in verse 5, speaks. Dinah's mother's mother and sister's absent, in verses 8 through 17, speak. The unheard of cries of the Hivite children and women, in verse 29, speak. Dinah's voice, never recorded, speaks. Moses, inspired by God in not mentioning God, speaks. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? And you know what it speaks? It speaks of our need for a savior. Because our enemies are no longer flesh and blood, but our principalities and powers in high places. The church's battle against power systems, which oppose the kingdom of God. Our own government opposes God's kingdom on so many levels. In fact, the same power systems we saw in Genesis 34 are still at work. In other words, ain't nothing changed but the zip code. The challenge of intermingling cultures makes Genesis 34 very relevant for us today. The law of power and recognition looms large for us, even in the church. We're no different. We have used our religion at times wrongly. We have kept silent at times when we should have spoken. And yes, at times we have victimized people. This text points to ourselves there's, or there's no power in it. It should make us realize there are no redeeming qualities within our own strength. This is what the world teaches us today. We can improve on our sin. We can make it better. We can smooth it over. I promise I won't use that gun anymore. I won't rape anymore. I, 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 I was influenced by social media. 
Like we mentioned, we can make wonderful claims about why it's okay to marry someone of the same sex or it's okay to abort a living child and call it reproductive rights instead of murder. Why is a story like this in the Bible? Because it stops us dead in our tracks that, that, that we should ever believe our own press reports because there's nothing good in us. Jacob, a man called by God, is in constant need of God. Here we see when God is not mentioned we are, and we are left to our own devices, it's not good. It exposes our heart, our true heart. Oh, God, help us. So here's the deal. Listen, there's, a, there's something that's held in abeyance. Where does this leave Jacob? Where does this leave Jacob? This is... This story, when it's read rightly, like I said, you know, the, the chapter breaks in the Bible are sometimes, I mean, they're there for a reason, but sometimes they don't do the justice of the narrative. But but there's, there's, a, there's a huge gap. There's a gap that I got to close because I want to encourage you before we leave. I really do. I know there's a lot of stuff here. Where does this leave Jacob? Where is the good news? See, we need the good news there's a lot of blood guilt of sin here. Jacob needs to hear a voice. He needs to hear a prophetic voice. Or could God be done with Jacob? I mean, how much can God tolerate? With that being said, if God be for us, who can be against us? One verse. Give me one verse in chapter 35. Listen, man, please hear this verse. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Praise God. He did not count Jacob's humanity against him. And he told, that's the only time in the Bible ever that God tells someone to build an altar. In the throes of all that madness of rape and gore and all that, the voice of God was still there for his elect. Patty praised God for that voice. Because you know what? He could have left Jacob there in his sin, but he doesn't. He says to arise, come, get out of Shechem. Thank God for that prophetic voice. Thank God, because listen, you know, you think about this government, it's an amazing picture. The language is telling here, God tells Jacob, get up, go up, settle and go live where you belong. And that, and that is Bethel. And is there you must make an altar. Matthew's depicts the move to Bethel set a new tone of repentance for Jacob's family. For settlement in Bethel required purification and resulted in the worship of God. Build an altar is the final directive and is the goal of the former imperatives, the only occasion that the Lord specifically told anyone to build an altar, as I mentioned. This is not only repentance, it's renewal. And maybe some of us today, maybe some of us need renewal this morning. Maybe a lot of us have been living in Shechem, so close yet so far. 
It's a dangerous place to live. The people who metaphorically die in Shechem could be the ones who the Lord said, or who said, Lord, I prophesy in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And then the stark words, I never knew you. Again, Shechem is a place that is on the outside looking in. But here's some encouragement. Just go to 2 Corinthians in closing as we, as we close out. These two verses are really powerful verses. The question is, are we ambassadors? That's a question, right? Are we ambassadors? Look at verse 20 and 21, two quick verses just to make a point. So then we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Today, by God's grace, I act as an ambassador for Christ. I bring a message of reconciliation that is exactly what was brought to Jacob. We need to get back where we belong. We need to get out of Shechem. And the plea is the same. Be reconciled to God. This again is repentance and renewal. At times we all need it. Maybe someone needs to build an altar in Bethel. Again, the true house of God. But here, my friend, is the good news. The Greek language here is that Christ did not just know about sin, but was personally involved in it. He became sin, but did not succumb to it in any way, shape, or form. Him being made sin on our behalf actually means, according to Kostenberger, that God treated him as if he had been sin's embodiment. Theologically, God made him who knew no sin bear the consequences of your sin, of my sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. This is the great exchange. It has nothing to do with the stock market. God exchanges our sin for his righteousness. Are you kidding me? He takes our sin and exchanges it for his righteousness. This is theologically, this is what Jacob would look forward to. And this is now something we look back on is available as we speak. Reconciliation is available at the foot of the cross. Christ, who knew no sin, became our sin offering. He became our sin bearer. So now we can set up the altar, not in Bethel, but in the true house of God where Christ dwells by grace. This is the good news of the gospel. I implore you, be reconciled to God in Christ. Genesis 34 is a challenging sermon because I, when you look at that sermon, when you look at that text, it's no different than today. It is not different than today, man. The blessing that we get from that is despite the sin, despite the sin, God's elect heard the voice of God. And you know something? Here's the deal. There's going to be some people in this world that are going to die in their sin. It's biblical. Don't charge the messenger. It's biblical. But there are some people by grace that are going to hear the voice of God in their sin. And if you're hearing that voice, man, you need to repent and believe the gospel. 
Don't drown out that spirit, man. Be reconciled to God. Listen, there might be things in your life. Listen, this is God, this is convicting to me when I do this. Do you, there's got to be some conviction here this morning. There's got to be some things, unless we're perfect, and I'm not. The conviction is that if there's some things in your life, if you're living in one, if you're living, whether it's Rachel or Dominic or Harlan or Sue or Patty or Mark, if we're living with one foot in Shechem and one foot in the promised land, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall and there was a great fall. You don't want to be deceived. You can't have one foot in Shechem and one foot in, in the kingdom. It's a challenge. Shechem's a challenge. It's got the allure of everything. It's got the fanciness of everything. It's, you know, it's almost like the prosperity gospel. You got to be careful. We have to be a distinct people. And it's only by God's grace that we can be a distinct people. We can't do it on our own because we got an allure to that stuff. We got an attraction to that. Me first. And I see some people shaking their heads. That's how we're wired, man. We love that stuff. It's only by God's grace can we realize that that stuff that we think is good is not good. I don't have time, but I can tell you the analogy between the liver and the veal called the Parmesan, but I'll, I'll save that for another day. I hope this morning that we were all challenged in some shape or form and fashion. And as I pray out the service, and I'm going to ask Charlie to give me a few minutes on the piano, because I think it's important that as I pray out and then we just sit down just to just think about the sermon for a few minutes as you just play a few bars and then we'll sing out. But I think this is a time that we need to contemplate me first, you second. Do we have one foot in Shechem and one foot in the kingdom? Because Ashley, that's not a good place to be. Nikki, one and two, it's not a good place to be. Dear Lord, in, any, in every sermon that we preach, we want people to respond to the gospel. And it's not by walking an aisle. They need to respond in their heart. They need to come before you and say, Lord, man, I've been living in Shechem. That's where I'm living. And I need to get out of Shechem. I need to go in Bethel. I need to be in the house of God. I need to take one foot out of the world and bring them both into the kingdom. And if you're hearing that voice today by the Spirit of God, praise God for that. That means you are a son of his, just like Jacob. Jacob was silent, but God was not silent. Praise God for that. So man, today, you know, just in our own life, how many times do we, how many times do I live in Shechem instead of knowing that we should be in the promised land, we should be in the land where you've called us to go, a distinct people, a salt and light people. Oh, Father, you say the prayer of the righteous avail much, and we're only righteous because of what Christ has done for us. So, Lord, I entreat you as I, as I ask the body to please agree with me in prayer Thinking back to Shechem, 
bring a conviction of the Spirit that we can go back to where we belong. Like God told Jacob, rise up and go. As we take a few minutes just to meditate on the sermon and then sing out, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship in this building. Lord, we pray for the atrocities and the things that are happening in the Middle East. We pray for your guiding hand and for the spirit to convict people so they can repent and believe the gospel because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Street Talk Theology, thanking you for listening. This was the second part of the series of chapter 34 in Genesis, challenging text to say the least. Hopefully by God's grace, it blessed you, convicted you and challenged you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.